0: WDBM East Lansing.
1: Welcome to the Sci Files, an Impact 89 FM series that explores student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co hosts, Maddie Dowling
0: and Dimitri Joseph.
1: Today we're here with Alyssa Saunders to talk about her research. Hi, Alyssa. Could you please introduce yourself and your research?
2: Hi, I'm Alyssa Saunders. I'm starting my third year of my PhD here at MSU. I'm doing a dual degree. My home department is integrative biology, and then my dual PhD is in ecology, evolution, and behavior.
0: That sounds like a lot of work, Alyssa. Could you give us a background about the research that you do?
2: Sure. I work in the MSU Electric Fish Lab, which is led by Dr. Jason Gallant. We work with a family of about 230 species of fish called mormyrids. All of these fish can produce weak discharges of electricity, which they use to communicate with one another and also to navigate their environments. But I don't study their electricity. I study their reproduction.
1: What is it that you guys are specifically studying about these more myrids?
2: So there's a few different reasons why people study electric fish. Obviously, their electricity is a big pull for a lot of researchers, and people will try and understand how they produce electricity and how they use it to communicate with one another and navigate their environments but they can also be really good model systems in animal behavior and fields like neurology.
0: Mormyrid seem like a very versatile model that can be applied to a lot of different fields of science. What sort of questions are you most interested in understanding?
2: I study their reproduction, and the main focus of my work is their gametes, so their sperm and their eggs. Mormyrid sperm is unique because it doesn't have a tail, and we evolutionarily don't know why. So I'm taking kind of a three-pronged approach to this problem. First, studying a genetic aspect, asking the question of what changed in the genome to cause the sperm tail to be lost. The second is looking on a gamete level, so mostly focusing on the eggs. We've known about mermyrids sperm and the loss of its tail since about the 1970s, but nobody's looked at the eggs in 50 years. And then my third way that I'm approaching reproduction in mermyrids is looking at their mating behaviors.
0: Before we go into any further research details, Alyssa, could you tell us about where we would naturally find mormyrids?
2: So mormyrids can be found throughout the African continent in freshwater habitats, including lakes and rivers. But you can also find electric fish elsewhere, although they do have sperm tails. There's another family of fish that are considered weakly electric in South America, the gymnotiforms. And you can also find some marine species, including stargazers, and some skates and rays can also produce electricity.
1: Since these fish are found in Africa, how do you catch them and bring them back here to study?
2: Usually they're caught on field expeditions, and recently my advisor just got back from one in Gabon. You go out and try to find a river where a lot of locals will typically know where to go. These fish are pretty common, and these rivers are usually pretty murky, so it's hard to find them. The fish also like to hide in plants. So one way that you can know where the fish are, the right spot to go, is to actually scan the water using some kind of rod to try and pick up their electric signals. You can get them out of the water just by normal fishing methods or by trapping and things like that. Does captivity change their behaviors regarding reproduction at all? It does. In the wild, these fish are going to be breeding during the rainy season of their region and only for like a couple months during that period. In the lab, under their normal housing conditions reflects the, I guess you would say, the dry season of that region. So in order to stimulate reproductive condition, you have to drop the conductivity of the water.
0: After you've captured the fish and they've been brought to the lab at MSU, what is the day-to-day maintenance like?
2: As you might imagine, we have a room full of a lot of tanks to house these fish, some of these fish are pretty territorial, and they're kind of kept on their own so that they don't fight. Other ones are housed in bigger groups. We do our best to simulate their natural environment in terms of temperature and water quality, things like that. And they're on a diet of worms. So in the wild, they're usually hunting for little insects, but in the lab, it's easiest to get worms to feed them. They are fed once a day, and that includes weekends and holidays. So. You have to have people go in all the time, take care of them.
0: Are they dangerous to handle?
2: They're actually not. A lot of people think electric fish and they're like, oh, it's going to shock me. But the fish that I work with, their electricity is so weak, it's actually under a volt in voltage. So you can stick your hand in the tank and you won't feel a thing. Now, if you're taking care of an electric eel, on the other hand, you would definitely want some rubber gloves.
1: What are some of the hypotheses or ideas you have about how these fish reproduce without having tails on their sperm?
2: One of the ideas is that the sperm don't need to move or have a tail because of the dynamics of how the fish are breeding. Mormyrids are what are called external fertilizers, meaning that the male and female will get close to one another in the water and then release the eggs and sperm directly into the water where they meet up. Something that could be helping the sperm reach the egg is just random flow of water and water dynamics. But no one's really looked at the eggs yet, and we think one possibility is that the eggs might have some unique structure or something going on that helps facilitate fertilization.
0: You have a pretty clear hypothesis. How are you going about using genetics to focus in on this question?
2: Basically, the idea here is that the ancestors of mormyrids do have sperm tails, but mormyrids themselves as a group don't. So there must be some genetic change going on that caused these sperm tails to be lost. At least that's the hypothesis. So to start, we've been scanning the genomes of mormyrids to look for any changes in genes associated with that structure that is either not there or has something new or something has been changed. And then from there, we're going to try and replicate that in zebrafish, which are our common genetic model system. They're a teleost fish that has sperm with tails, not electric but we want to make whatever changes in mormyrids and put that into a zebrafish to see if we can have zebrafish that don't produce sperm tails. And that would prove to us that whatever is going on in the mormyrids on their genetic side is probably what is causing the loss of the sperm tail. The goal here is to use CRISPR to make that initial edit in zebrafish and then breed multiple generations of them in the hopes of obtaining a zebrafish that has tailless sperm.
0: I remember a few years ago, where the entire science community was excited about CRISPR. Could you give us a basic overview of what's included in this technique?
2: Sure. CRISPR, like you said, there was a time where everyone was talking about it. And it's actually kind of one of the reasons I got really interested in biology was hearing that it existed. And so it's kind of crazy to me that I'm using it in my own work now. How CRISPR works is it originates in bacteria and is used to create defenses against viruses by cutting open the genome and putting something into it. As a molecular tool, though, we can use it to make changes in the DNA at the one cell like embryo stage. So what you do is you inject your embryo with an RNA guide, which basically shows CRISPR where to go into the genome. Once CRISPR is guided there, it will make a cut. At that cut, the DNA can just repair itself, and sometimes there's mild errors there that can cause a mutation for you at that site if that's what you want. But you can also supply CRISPR with some kind of template to stick into the genome at that place if you want to insert some kind of piece of DNA.
0: You've mentioned that your second interest is to investigate the female mormyrid exiles. First, how do you identify the female if there's no uh, physical? indication
2: so there actually is a physical indication although it is very subtle it's hard to tell male and female fish apart the same with mermirids, but along the belly body wall near a fin that's around their genital region in males you'll see a bit of an angle in that area and we call that a notch in females that area is just a straight line so they don't have a notch Mm -hmm. on them If the fish are in reproductive condition, you could also try and squeeze them and see if eggs or sperm come out. But sometimes it's useful to know ahead of time what you're going to get.
1: What are some of the areas that you're interested in learning about, specifically the role of the female fish?
2: A big thing that I'm interested in is simply filling that literature gap. It's been 50 years since we've known that the males have something interesting going on, and I think it's surprising to me that no one's tried to look at the female side of things almost at all. There's been a little bit, there's like one study that talks about it, but they don't even show pictures of the eggs. What I'm interested in is gathering fresh eggs from these fish and then preserving them and using scanning electron microscopy to image them, which is An advanced microscope technique that allows you to look at preserved tissue at really high magnifications.
1: How do you study the last part of your research, which you mentioned was the mating behaviors?
2: So that's the chapter that I haven't gotten into as much yet, because, like I said, it's been difficult to breed these fish in the lab so far. But the goal is that by dropping water conductivity, which helps stimulate their breeding season, which is in the rainy season, we can get them to breed. And I want to look at whether or not. You need to breed them as groups of fish, as pairs of fish, how many males are females, and also what does mating behavior even look like in different species of this fish. My goal here is to set up a bunch of different kinds of mating paradigms, I guess you would say, and see what the fish do. (laughs)
1: Does the fact that these fish are electric have any
2: impact on reproductive behaviors as far as you know? It's something we don't know yet, but something we have definitely thought of. So as you might imagine, being able to produce electricity is pretty costly energy-wise. You're essentially making a battery and making it produce electric discharges out into the environment. One thought that we've had is that if you have sperm and have no need for it to move, if you can get rid of that tail, that's an energy saver. And while it might seem like a really small thing, these males are producing a lot of sperm throughout the reproductive seasons, and it could possibly be a trade-off here of getting rid of sperm tails in order to reallocate that energy towards electricity. But there is a caveat to that, and that's that other electric fish still do have sperm tails. So, to be determined.
1: You mentioned that your PI just came back from a research expedition. Is that something that you're hoping to be a part of as well, going out to the field and seeing the fish in their natural habitat?
2: Yeah, I think it could be really fun. I've never been to Africa, and I think that would be really great to just see what it's like. And I've also never gone fishing, so I think this will be a a test of my skills. A lot of people are like, oh, you work with fish? Do you like fishing? And I'm like, actually, I've never gone, so (laughs) it might be nice to have that skill under my belt one day.
1: Yeah, and fishing in Africa sounds like a good place to start. Yeah,
2: right? (laughs) So that's
1: a good memory. You mentioned that you have three parts in your research, the genetics, the female side, and then the mating, more behavioral side. Are you planning on combining those areas or are you looking at them separately and independently?
2: Obviously, there's a theme of myriad reproduction in all of them. I really wanted to try different techniques throughout my PhD. And so that's why I have these three approaches. But I also think that it really fits with my department's goal of integrative biology. Usually, if I'm talking to family or friends, I just say I study biology. Because if I ever say integrative biology, they're like, I don't understand what that means. But it's basically trying to take different ways to look at a problem. At least that's how I interpret it. For my project, the way that I'm tying them together, the reproduction is a theme, but also the sperm without the tails is the central factor and trying to understand first, why did it happen? And then what things might be facilitating fertilization in the egg side or something in the mating behaviors.
0: Thank you, Alyssa, for teaching us about more marriage. But for our last question, could you tell us about how you got started in this field?
2: For me, it was definitely the draw of electric fish themselves and a unique phenotype study. I worked with electric fish in my undergrad a little bit, mostly studying kind of the communication side of things, and I knew I really liked this model system, so I looked out grad schools that had programs working with these fish. I talked to Dr. Gallant here at MSU, and he told me about their sperm that don't have tails, and I was like, well, that's weird. I guess I got to go study that. And so I came here to do that. For me, it was the initial draw was very much just like the interesting thing that nobody's really looked at before but there are practical reasons why to study this first it's an evolutionary novelty so it has a scientific merit to study it in of itself these fish don't have sperm tails but it's not the only case of tailless sperm in the animal kingdom there are 35 lineages of invertebrates like crustaceans and worms that don't have tails on their sperm but eels are the only vertebrate that has this So understanding why this has only happened once in a vertebrate is potentially interesting. There's also practical applications in being able to breed these fish better in the lab could be really good for the future of myrmyrids as a model system so that you don't have to get them through fishing for them in Africa and bringing them back. Or sometimes you can find them in the pet trade. They're an aquarium fish. And finally, I think that there could be potential biomedical applications So in male infertility, one of the reasons why a male might be infertile is issues with the sperm tail. Either it's lost or it's not properly constructed. By understanding how mormyrids lost their sperm tail, maybe that could give us some kind of gene or something to look for in humans to understand possible causes of issues with sperm tails. Alyssa, thank you so much for
1: coming and speaking to us about your research. I hope to hear more in the future and good luck with continuing in your investigations. Thank you, Alyssa. Thank you.